Welcome to the Speakeasy Crime Cafe podcast, where we speak to some of the most amazing people that you'll ever meet. The people that I bring to you have lived through or experienced something most of us never will. I'm your host, Michael Merson. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. that this is actually my life. And time and again, I get faced with this thing where I go, yeah, see, that is so true. <laughs> I have to try to remember that. <laughs> it's horrible and it's terribly poignant and tragic. You know, like there's so much wasted time and energy and, and then so many people hurt and unnecessarily, you know, compromised and it's just nothing good. You know, there's out of the other end of it, it's like watching sausage get made. It's just horrible, you know, in every detail. And when I think about it, I think, yeah, but I don't want to forget this horrible irony. And, the, you know, I really should have been on the opening tour with the Eagles with Blue Steel. I should have been there. They wanted me there. I was too busy robbing banks. Why? Because this motherfucker didn't die. That's why. Because I'm not very good at anything I do, apparently. I cannot finish. So, or this motherfucker wouldn't be here. So, and it's just over and over again, man. You're an amateur. You're not really this thing. You're playing at it. That means that you can't really pull the trigger. You can't really kill people. You can't really threaten people. You can't really, because you don't mean it, bro. It's not who you are. You're fake. Just like your old man, just looking for a shortcut. As my sponsor used to say, just a hard ass looking for a soft place to sit, bro. That's all it is. And can't find one because you'll fuck it all up. It's a life of a lot of people, though. Man, you know? it's so deep and so... But mine, honestly, all the things I was offered, man. If I had had one-tenth of my brother Michael's discipline and ambition and hatred of the world, dude, I'd be sitting on a million dollars for real. Mike's... I mean, he's 77 now. He's had a 50-year career unlike anybody ever. Billy Preston told me, if your brother was here, I wouldn't sit down at a Hammond organ. The fifth Beatle told me that. Yeah, if your brother was here, I wouldn't even fucking sit down. So that's how badass my brother is. This motherfucker is legendary in every musician's circle that matters. Everywhere I've ever been in the world my entire life, every musician that was about something would go, oh, that motherfucker. Yeah, so I got tired of it, but I was proud of it. When I was with Blue Steel, they made me a little sign that said, not Mike Finnegan's brother, because they knew how tired I was of hearing it. Oh, you're Mike Finnegan's brother. And fuck that, he's my brother. <laughs> I'm Sean. But I mean, really, that was like a huge thing in my life. My Everywhere I've gone my whole life, my heroes and the cats that mattered in the room would be like, oh, yeah, I know your brother. Well, see, I can't do what he does. So it's immediately an uncomfortable signal. This person that I respect now expects me to be that. And I can't. Never could, never will. Because nobody can. Right. That's why he's Mike Finnegan. That's why Billy Preston's scared of him. So, but he's not scared of Sean. Billy and I used drugs together and partied and, 
You know, my partner Rob Royer won the Academy Award and the Oscar and Grammys, and they sold 117 million fucking records. And so, between him and my brother, I know and met everybody that fucking matters in the 30-year period of my generation. All of them. So, not a couple of them. So, and they were all terribly impressed with my brother, and most of them were scared of him. But I was the one you could party with and relax, man. Nobody was scared of Sean. I was the party. So they was, I loved it when after getting to know me, they'd go, man, you are nothing like your brother. I'd be like, that's right, motherfucker. <laughs> that's right. I am nothing like my brother. That is exactly right. So I am likable and trustworthy and lovable and funny and amusing and soft-hearted. And, and my brother Mike, like I said, is like a lighthouse light scanning. The only people who feared you were bank tellers. Well, and just people that did wrong. I like to think that I always use my powers for good, mostly for my good, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but never for evil. Never for so, evil. Uh, and I was always shocked by the vicissitudes of those who engaged in the sales of narcotics and firearms. What is it with these people? <laughs> what is it with these people? Have they no joy in their lives? So, um, so on the day you got caught. So the day I got caught. This is bad. It's Mother's Day. So I know better. I was raised right, so I knew goddamn well I shouldn't be robbing a bank on Mother's Day. And I walk in and the whole bank ain't nothing but women. So this is our Lord Jesus telling me. Walk out. Go no further, young man. Turn around. It's like a blinking light going, how much of a scumbag are you? So you know I'm gonna pass that test. What city are you in? I'm in LA still, I'm burning up LA. Um, it, the last one was, God, this is beautiful. So it's not quite Northridge, but it's north of Burbank. So I guess these days they're calling it, I don't know. It's below Northridge, but above Burbank. So <laughs> it's all women, man. And my voice says, Sean, you can't do this, bro. You can't do this. But it's Friday, my brother. I mean, it's 10 till 3. In those days, banks closed at 3, not 4. Yeah. So I'm like, fuck it. I got to do this, man. I got to do it. Because, you know, it's the weekend. Got to get some money for the weekend. some pocket money, brother. So, um, so I forced myself to do it, man. And this poor woman looked up at me, and I did my thing and gave her the note. And, and then I got the broad next to her gone. So I got two of them gone. <laughs> God help me. These people come in from, I guess, they're Wells Fargo. And uh, there's two of them. And they got these carts, and they got the big guns and the big jackets, and the, and the bank manager come out, comes out and meets them, and they all go in her office with these carts. I'm like, why are they bringing money on a Friday when they're closing? Because there were no banking hours those days on Saturday. What are they doing? What doing? <laughs> As my little four-year-old friend used to say, what doing? <laughs> so in my little four-year-old brain, I was like, what doing? So I watched him go in there, and these girls got done with my gig, and just about as they finished up, one of those goons came out and walked out to the truck, and the other one came out with this clipboard and was talking to this good-looking woman and laughing with her, and they wandered off back towards the vault. And that fucking cart was right there outside her office. I was like, well, that's a sign from our Lord. That's my money. So as I walked by, I just thought, fuck it. 
So I took it. <laughs> the cart? <laughs> yeah, no, the bags. The bags? And now listen, now it's one thing to put some money in your pockets and leave a bank without looking back, but this is like a cartoon, bro. These are the bags with the things on them like dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there ain't no doubt about what you're up to. It's like a cartoon, man. It's like Heckle and Jekyll. Here comes Sean Finnegan with these giant bags with these dollar signs on them. It's like a Batman episode with the Riddler. You know, back in the day. Oh, yeah, so he's got the dollar sign on. See how I'm robbing the bank? Yeah. So, um, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. <clears throat> so I just waltzed on out of the place. And, you know, like I said, you never run, you never look back. But I was stepping kind of lively. It's the fastest I ever exited a bank. I was moving pretty swiftly. So on fireworks, it used to say, light and retire with alacrity. And that's what I was doing. I was retiring with alacrity. And I heard the guy in the, this muffled guy inside the truck go, hmm, are you? <laughs> I was pretty sure he was talking to me. <laughs> but he's in the armored car. Hey, buddy. And I could see the truck rocking. He was pretty excited. He's trying to get his gun out and the fucking truck's rocking. So I just kept walking, man. So uh, I see that there's this giant, uh, they don't have Kroger's at that time in California, but they have Albertsons. And they also had uh, Chuck Wagon or something. They had this lit up Pioneer Wagon on them. But this place I think was an Albertsons. And I thought, I got people, I need bodies around me. So I go right into this giant fucking Albertsons. Now it's like four minutes after three. The place is teeming with people. And you're still carrying the bags of money? Well, yeah, fuck it, I'm just telling you what it's all about. So, uh, trying to blend in. Yeah, so I get a cart, but I do. I do blend in. I get a cart and I put that money on there and I put some groceries on top of that motherfucker. I'm blending in like a champ. I'm walking up and down Albertsons. So I see Fat Boy out there with his gun going crazy. And now his buddy's with him. I'm like, all right, that's, that ain't none of me. That's what you say in jail. My name's Bennett and I ain't in it. So I'm just shopping. And uh, then I hear the sirens. Now, I had parked my car, again, with two brakes of vision, down uh, uh, at the entrance to an alley behind like a warehouse. It was at the end of the block. So I'm by now 600 yards from where my car is, so that's trouble. But what the fuck? So I hear the sirens and I think, all right, this ain't working. I can't go out that front door. That ain't happening. So I go back through the doors into the butcher section where they cut up the meat and everybody's got white jackets on. And I take the money, I'd see one of them white jackets and I put it on and I tuck the money up under there and I got my white butcher jacket on and I'm walking around thinking, okay, how's a motherfucker get out of here? And I see that one of the loading docks is open. So I think, all right, that's how a motherfucker gets out of here in his white coat. That's exactly how he gets out. So I am on over there and the fucking truck backs up. I'm sealed. I can't go out that way. I'm fucked like Chuck. So I gotta go back out. There ain't no place to hide. Now one thing you will learn is that I am an imaginative fellow. Okay. And I am subject to mercurial inspiration. Mercurial inspiration. So I have been gifted in my life with a certain vision that seems to elude others of what is possible in the moment. 
So here's a secret about bank robbery. And as a police officer, you know this probably about violence. The world is a place where we all hold hands and agree on what's real. And therefore, we think we know what can happen next. This is how most of the people in the world are going to live their life. They are civilians. We are not. Right. We are not squares. So squares think that something unusual is the lawnmower won't start. Or my baby fell off a bike. Or maybe somebody they know got in a fist fight. Okay. That's not my world. So I know what humans are capable of. And I know what happens after midnight. A lot of the times I instigated it. And I know how people get power. So-called respectable people. And I know how they hold it. And I know who works for them. So people who are willing to perform violence and are calm and have planned to do so generally come out on top. Because they don't give a fuck about your drama and whether or not you can do this, and while you're thinking, you know, what about my mom, and fuck all that. They're not thinking about any of that. No. They knew what they were going to do when they got there. You are afraid of what you think they might be capable of, and it's blowing your tiny little civilian mind while I'm doing what I came here to do. That means that only a qualified, prepared professional can foil me. But if I thought there was a likelihood of one such appearing, I wouldn't be here. That's why I'm smarter than you. That means I have to get surprised to be foiled. On the other hand, it means I only have to do what I normally do to succeed. Okay, this is a more thoughtful way of looking at the world. That way when things do explode, I'm not caught with my hand up my ass thinking what happens next. I'm generally doing what happens next. So that means fewer things are going to happen to me and I'm going to happen to more people. It's over. So you're trapped in the grocery store. So I know I have to go out now. So I do, with my little white coated self, and homeboy snatches me immediately with his pistol and says, you robbed that fucking bank over there. I said, I don't, I don't think I did. I'd remember something like that. And he puts it in my gut. And he says, now he, and he's saying some shit that I can't hear. And he's walking me out the door. And I see his partner out there on the fucking radio. And, and I hear the sirens. It's on like Donkey Kong. So I say to him, <laughs> my friends are out there in the car. And they'd like nothing than to shoot an old fat white cop in the fucking head. So if you and I go out that door together, all hell's gonna break loose, you fucking idiot. He said, like you got friends, you fucking loser. <laughs> Did he really? And this was the Wells Fargo security guard. It's yeah, not even I was a... like, well, it was worth trying. <laughs> I thought I'd give it a flyer. <laughs> so he got the thing in my gut and we're walking and this is what happens. This is how prosaic and beautiful life is. I looked at him and in my brain, the tape said, you're a 22-year-old, highly trained, sweaty male high on cocaine who does not want to go to prison and be the toy of a black man. And this is a fat, old, white fuck who can barely breathe now and doesn't know what danger means. Now show him. So I grabbed his fucking gun and hit him in the head with it. I tossed him with one hand over the hood of a car with adrenaline. Like in a dream, I launched him. 
his own fucking gun backwards in my head after I tapped him one on the forehead. And I looked at his friend on the phone and went, and threw it and took off running. This buddy went, we can get through the thing. Took off running after me. <laughs> so one of the themes in my adventures of bank robbery is Mexican construction gangs. They played a big role in my robberies. So let me just hold that for a moment and digress to one earlier. Another Mexican construction crew in a bank robbery, okay? I'll come right back, I promise. But this is too hilarious before I forget it. Maybe 15th, 16th, 17th bank robbery. I got a pocket full of quaaludes and a pocket full of cocaine. And I've been up for a couple days and I robbed the bank and I come outside. And as I'm getting on the freeway, I open the cocaine bag instead of making a line. And I just go, boom, and power hit it. So I did way too much. So I'm getting all fucking shaky and weird as I poop my pants. Which happens a lot, because, you know, they cut all cocaine for decades with manit, mannitol, which is baby laxative. Because it's white and it has no, yeah. it doesn't fuck with the blow and it feels good. And Okay. So, <laughs> so I'm pooping my pants fit the car and I can smell it and I'm sweating, man. And it doesn't, I mean, I'm just losing it. I'm shaking and a bunch of, and I look, <laughs> there's two girls in a car next to me. And you can see the bag of cocaine coming up out of my pocket. And this girl looks at me and goes, and points to the cocaine, and I go like this, and she goes, yeah. <laughs> and I lean over to roll down the window, and I vomit all over her <laughs> on the side of her car. Just spew vomit all over my cocaine and my car and her and their car. You got a bag of money. And they're like, and they pull off, and I pull over at this construction site because I see a hose, and I just... I get out of the car and take my pants off and I take my underwear. Now all the Mexicans are watching me. They all stop working and they're like hooting and howling and yelling to me. And I'm like, bro, it was a tough night. <clears throat> I take my underwear and wipe myself and get the hose, <laughs> clean myself off. And the Mexicans are going nuts, man. I get back in my car and make good my escape. So <clears throat> there's a theme with Mexicans at construction sites in my bank robbery career. So I'm running, homeboy's chasing me. I hear the fucking sirens. Only now I also hear, waka, 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 waka. so I hear a helicopter too. So it's on like Donkey Kong for real. So, so I'm running. I know this big fat white dude can't catch me. There's not a chance of that. So I'm really running. Uh, he takes two pot shots at me. Doesn't come anywhere near me as far as I can tell. I get around the building. There's a row of things where they're doing new sidewalk and they're pouring concrete. I come around, homeboy yells, hey, stopping me, Rob the bank. The construction dudes look up on the one Mexican. He goes, is that true? I said, what the fuck does it look like? Because I flew by them. <laughs> they're like, all right! So, what the fuck does it look like? So, so, God help me, man. I get around the street. And you know what? You haven't been to L.A., yeah? Yeah, Ben. Okay, so you know you could shoot a cannon down the street at 3 o'clock in Burbank in the neighborhood, and there ain't a motherfucking human. There ain't one in the afternoon. There's no humans on the fucking street in the neighborhood. So that ain't good for me, see? So I see this school, this high school. I burn for it, man. I get on that school campus, and I see there's these Quonset huts. Do you still got the money? Oh, yeah. Like, it gets better. So I see these Quonset huts on this school campus, 
and I see that they're all in this neighborhood of around this school. There are various homes that have been knocked down and the lots have, are being rebuilt into different homes. There have been these like workers places from the 40s and 50s there. They're rebuilding. One of the garages is completely knocked down and there's some gutter from the roof there. And I see the newly poured concrete in the dirt. So I grab that gutter and I dig a fucking hole underneath that sidewalk. I put that money under there, cover it back up. And I use that gutter to score the concrete there by the part of that fucking sidewalk. And I get to that high school. So I see these Quonset huts. I get inside one of them. And as I step in, this is my life, man. I step in. The speaker on the secretary's desk says, be advised, LAPD searching the, it'll come to me, the so-and-so school district area for white male bank robbery suspect, uh, Forget what else they say, because like I said, probably considered is, armed and dangerous. Syrup is coming down my world, and everything is in slow motion. So the guy says, "Come on in," and I say, "My car's broken down. Can I use your phone?" He says, "Yeah, sure." So I call Richard Bowden, and uh, who I'm trying. By then, I'm living with Richard Bowden and with Howard Burke, who wrote Nothing But Time. Howard Burke answers the phone. I say, "Howard, I'm at such and such high school." Here's the street that backs onto it. Come and pull up in your car. If I come out, let's go. If I don't come out, drive away. You don't have to do this, bro. He's laughing. He goes, Finnegan, what's up? I said, you don't have to do this. He goes, I'll be there. I said, okay. I go back in homeboy's office. Squawk box comes back on and it says, six foot three, brown hair, glasses, blue shirt, blue jeans, armed and dangerous, something else. Dude looks at me, click. Click, click, click with each part of the description. Okay, it's like Zen in the room, bro. He said, uh, you're in a world of trouble, ain't you? I said, dude, up to here. He goes, what are you gonna do? I said, let's be clear. This is not a kidnapping. If you need to get up and walk out of here, get up and walk out, bro, and scream bloody murder. I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do. He went, no, I'm not going anywhere. I said, okay, but I ain't keeping you here. He said, now tell me what's going on. I said, well, I, I'm kind of in the middle of something. So, and the LAPD are hot on my trail. <laughs> he said, what are you gonna do? I said, well, I've kind of got a half-baked plan. So I guess we'll see what I'm gonna do. What are you gonna do? He said, well, I'm gonna go home and hug my wife and kids and thank God it was you and not some fucking idiot. I said, cool. Then we're both gonna get what we want, I think. He said, if they burst in here, I said, if they burst in here, they're not going to shoot at you, bro. You're going to be fine. Just relax. I ain't got a gun. Just, he said, all right. So we sat there for a little while. You could see the helicopters come over the campus. They were searching the fucking baseball game. They were up in the stands searching people, going through it. I'm watching them. Sitting there going, ain't this a bitch. Trapped? I'm trapped. But my buddy shows up. Did you did you know? I mean, were you thinking that? I'm trapped. I know I'm trapped. I just couldn't stop improvising. Because when you stop, it's over. <clears throat> right. Couldn't stop. Can't be over. Oh, I forgot to tell you. When I'm running down the street, you know what I'm telling myself in my head? Please, God, don't let me get shot down like a dog in the street. Don't let it end like this. I mean, you this, were thinking this. Oh, yeah. This can't be the end. This is not the story. That's what I'm thinking. I'm looking around thinking, this is not the story. Can't be. Can't end this way. So 
I'm improvising, man. I forgot to tell you the best part, though. So in my chase, I thought about making for my car. That's when I really got shot at by the LAPD. So I tried to make my car. I worked my way around, saw the alley, got up over the brick wall, saw my car and thought to myself in my head, do I dare try? And I got about one thing over the wall and two LAPD on motorcycles came around, slid to a stop and one just immediately started shooting at me, immediately. So those are the only time I actually felt the impact of a bullet that close to me where brick dust was blown into my cheeks. So they were for real trying to shoot your boy, for real. So another reason I was highly motivated. <laughs> so oh God, man, yeah, yeah. what do you do? I mean, yeah, well, wow. first, see what that meant to me and, was and you were, you were the car was thinking of putting the hands up and saying, I'm no, done. Fuck all that. That's you got it. Then it's over. I forgot to nail the other good part. The LAPD were so excited that the first one around the corner dumped his bike. I think that's why his partner didn't shoot me and kill me. Because he went down, and as he's trying to get his shit together, his partner goes, boom, 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 at me, and then looks at his buddy. So I think that's probably why they didn't shoot me in the head. So I get away. And that's why I couldn't go to my car. That's why I went to the school, because I knew there would be bodies there after 3 o'clock. Right. Lots of bodies. I got here comes my buddy, Howard Burke pulled up. So I ran and jumped in the back seat and he said, what's going on? I saw your car. I said, oh, he said, yes, yeah, surrounded by police on a tow truck. I was like, yeah, it's definitely over. He said, what? I said, dude, I've been robbing banks. He didn't believe me. He went, what? I said, dude, I've been robbing banks. He went, no. I said, yeah, man. So we get to the house and it had this huge uh, length of the house, plate glass windows, a beautiful fucking padded Northridge by the Budweiser Brewery out there. It's a beautiful place. Um, anyways, so I'm at the house. He takes me back and I tell him, look, and Richard Bowden, fucking idiot. So I get them both in the room and I tell him, look, man, the feds are coming. So make no mistake about it. And Bowden says, well, go on the run. I said, Richard, Richard, Richard. This ain't a TV show, man. I don't have $100,000. There is no going on the run. There's nowhere to run to. <laughs> Go on the run. Give me your car. Yeah, right. So, so he slinks off, and I know, you know, like I said, I'm not a civilian man. So I count to 100, and I went in the room and hung the phone up. I said, Richard, you don't have to call the police on it, brother. They're coming. They don't need your help, you fucking rat. So sit your fat ass down or get the fuck out of here. I don't care. If I were you, I'd just get the fuck out of here, man. So I was a little peeved since I was paying all the fucking rent. All of a sudden, everybody's coming on like a square. Ain't this a bitch? So in here they came. Four Fury 2s for the FBI. The Plymouth Fury 2, at that time, the vehicle of choice. <laughs> so you they remember came well. flying in, man. And the, the oldest agent who I got to know a little bit, uh, he came and tapped on the window with his gun because I was sitting there. I was trying to get high. This is a good story. This is good for all of the reading, the listening public. So I had Hawaiian pot. I had Thai weed. I had Nepalese temple balls. I had pink rock salmon cocaine that you cut off with the razor like parts of a glacier that was calving. I had Jack Daniels and wild turkey. I had quaaludes, 
I couldn't get high. Because you knew what I was sat coming. there for 20 minutes and I could not get high. My body was too finely attuned to the danger. It's like, not the time for a cocktail, not the time to get high. So it wouldn't let me get high. I took all those drugs, couldn't feel a fucking thing. So and then here they came. And he tapped on the window and said, are you Sean Finnegan? So I could see his lips through the window, are you Sean Finnegan? Yeah. And I said, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> and he went. <laughs> he just motioned with his yeah, finger to come like out. That. I was like, all right. So this is why Richard Bowden's partner attacked me in Nashville 30 years later, Pinkerton, which is hilarious that that's his name, Pinkerton and Bowden. Um, they say, is there anybody else in the house? And I said, yes. Howard Burke and Richard Bowden, a couple of dumbasses. And they got nothing to do with this, which he, dude was really quite an FBI. He was a cool guy, man. He said, yeah, I get it. He said, so where are they? I said, Howard, Richard, and then the FBI went, they put their thing up and went, I'm in the house. Step out and hands up. <laughs> so one of my taglines for the rest of my life is, I like to tell people that I actually get to know well. You really haven't lived until someone has told you through a bullhorn to come out with your hands up. Yeah. So they've done it to me four or five times. And here's the other one. Remain in the light. They told me that twice. So that's when the helicopters are after you. Remain in the light. So you haven't really lived until law enforcement has said those things to you through a bullhorn. Thank you.